Welcome to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Join RJ and Dylan as they discuss each week's Seattle Kraken news and top stories from around the league. All right, RJ. Now, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. We think it's best not to bury the lead too much. Uh, of course, you were at the home opener last night for us, um, Saturday night for those listening when this comes out on Monday. You know, we all, I think, want to hear what it was like to be in that building. Uh, we'll, of course, break down the game, talk about the other games from this past week. But I think, you know, we should just start off with what was like, you know, Try to sum up the overall experience of what it was like to be there for that home opener. Well, I'll just start off with the fact that it it just felt like a truly historic moment. I mean, it was special from kind of the moment I walked in, you know, and you see the arena and everything from like morning skate all the way through the day. I mean, there was just kind of a buzz in the air about what was going to happen. Um, and... Yeah, and so I'm I'm grateful for that. And first off, I, I guess I just want to thank also the the Kraken organization and the media relations staff who, you know, allowed me to cover that game. It was my first NHL game as like you know, credentialed media, and uh, it was just amazing to see that side of it. Um, and grateful to be able to give you guys you know some some more kind of inside coverage than we would have otherwise been able to. So. Thanks again to the Kraken for that. They've been awesome working with us. So I just want to get that out of the way uh, to start. But um, as far as the overall energy for the game, a lot of player, you know, all the players, coaches, everyone said the building was electric. You know, the the fans brought the noise. It was amazing. Um, And there were certainly parts of the game where I felt that that was the case. Uh, I did see some comments as I was looking through the chat of our uh, of our post game live about the feeling that you know maybe there were kind of a lot of suits in the audience. You know, the tickets were very expensive to get in. It was not cheap, and I felt that there was maybe an element of that. Um, I happened to be sitting um, first front row of section 105, which is kind of in the middle height wise of the arena, right? Basically about half the fans above me, half the fans below me. And for a lot of the game, I felt like the majority of the noise was coming from above me. I will just say that much. Um, and I, how do I say this the right way? But I'm looking forward to maybe some future games where the ticket prices go down a little bit and you have some fans in the building that maybe weren't able to, to go last night, you know, due to, cost restrictions um and i do want to mention one story real quick um there were some construction workers who had helped build the arena that i got to meet with because i i live by the arena i walked by there a lot during the construction i got to meet some of the construction workers and i found out that a few of them that i knew had been given tickets kind of a last minute thing before the game and they were up you know in the kind of upper 200 section and I went to meet with them um, and uh, at intermission, and man, I tell you, that section with the construction workers was loud. I mean, that was, you know, as advertised, Seattle fans, you know, they're bringing the noise. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that for future games. Uh, but overall, especially after that Vince Dunn goal, the energy, man, like the building was ready to pop off the whole first period. And uh, I was great to, it was great to see the timing of that goal. Yeah, and, you know, I think for the most part, that was kind of the sense we got watching it, too. Um, the crowd seemed very engaged, right? Every time there was a close shot, everybody was standing up. Uh, you know, stuff like that was happening, so you could kind of get that feel for, for what was going on. Um, yeah, obviously, expensive games, big playoff games and stuff. You and I have been to enough of those that we know, you know, certainly in larger cities, that tends to what happens, right? Like, they get bought up by companies, given out as vendor gifts, all that kind of stuff. It's it's just part of the business. Um, definitely think, you know, over the course of the year, the Seattle fans are going to show up in a big way and, and make that place, you know, even more electric probably than it was last night. Um Let's talk kind of just, you know, the arena in general. It, it looked kind of small, like like in a good way. 
um, on mm. TV last night. It felt, you know, kind of intimate and like everybody was kind of really on top of the ice. Was that kind of what it was like to be there? Definitely. And I was there for morning skate. And afterwards, I kind of walked around the arena, tried to get it, you know, take it in from all angles, really walked around all the different sections, the different levels. And that's a great way of describing it. And Hack Coach Haxtell said something like that, where it feels like there's 17,000 fans right on top of you. And it, it does kind of have that orientation. And you look at that, it's because, you know, they've dug straight down. I mean, it's amazing how far underground, you know, the ice level actually is. Um, and I think it makes it a really unique building, a unique atmosphere. And the sight lines are incredible for the seats, for the fans. There's there's not a bad seat in the building. And it does have that kind of smaller, intimate atmosphere. Yet in an arena that seats 17,000, so it's, you know, average NHL size. Uh, but it feels like a much smaller building in a good way. Yeah, no, you definitely got that sense. I, I was going to ask about that. What was it like to like enter an arena and then immediately have to go down escalators rather than up? You know, it threw me off a little bit. Uh, some of the media members were, were trying to kind of figure out where everything was. You had the different elevators, all these levels below ground. Um, yeah, it's a learning experience. Uh, I just remembered the comment that Coach Haxtell made when they were asked, well, you know, have you gotten kind of the lay of the land with the arena? You know, have you learned it a little bit? You've been there like one day. And he's like, well, you know, if if I get lost, there'll always be someone there to point me in the right direction. And that's uh, kind of what we fell back on. Um, but yeah, it definitely had a different feel to it. And again, just looking outside, being on ground level, looking out the windows at the ground and then being, you know, at the very upper deck of the arena. It's it's just something I haven't experienced before, but it was really cool. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I'm a big fan of being underground. Uh, I know I'm in the <laughs> minority with that, but I've always loved it. Um, yeah, it was really cool to have like, you know, those windows there on either side. It looked like, you know, were they on either side, the windows? Um, you're talking about on the uh, ends? At the ends, yeah. It was just on one side. Is okay. The window. But, okay, I have to mention this. I love that they left it open mm -hmm. so that fans could look inside. I have been walking around the arena beforehand, um, and I noticed I could peek inside and look at how the how it was going. But I noticed for the uh, the two concerts that they did, you know, Coldplay, um, you know, they had closed it up before that. So for the concert, it was all closed. You couldn't see inside. And I understand for the you know kind of effect you want to have for a concert, that's what you want to do. But I am so glad that they left it open because as a fan there in the building, you could see people on the outside looking in and it just created a really cool effect. Um, yeah, and I think it's just, it's great that, you know, even if you don't have a ticket, you know, maybe you can stop by and just see a little bit of the game. So I, I like that effect. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to bring up because I thought that was totally awesome that they did that i think that's very unique to this arena and you know a really awesome thing for people um you know I'll, I'll move on from the arena in a little bit just some you know quick kind of you know maybe these are some geeky questions to be asking but like one of the things you and i noticed when we went to vegas for the first time that arena was that it was very lower bowl heavy for an arena um it felt like you know that lower bowl made up more than half of it if you looked up it looked like Seattle might be a little similar to that. Maybe not quite to the same extent. Was Is that kind of really how it was that? Yes, that's actually one of the first thoughts that I had when I went down into lower bowl for morning skate is it felt kind of lower bowl heavy in the similar way uh, that Vegas is. And remember, we discussed at that game, that's something that we liked. Um, and you could be sitting, you know, kind of at the very back of the lower bowl, but it, the sight lines are still great because of how angled it is. Um, yeah, and, and it's kind of got this different configuration, too, where you've got height-wise, you've got the lower bowl, obviously, and then on the two ends, you know, like behind the two goals, um, you have kind of the next level, and that's the 100 section, uh, which is actually lower than on the sides, the 200 section. But in a lot of arenas, it's all just the same height all the way around for that upper section. And... As a result of that, those seats kind of behind the two goals, they feel really far from the ice and they're just not the best seats. Um, and that's not the case at, at Climate Pledge Arena. And I really like that configuration. I was sitting in one of those 100 sections behind the two goals and it is the best seat uh, in 
in a section like that, if any arena I've been to, I mean, they really did kind of make sure there's no bad seat in the house. Right. And, you know, I got to think one of the things that contributes to that lack of bad seating is the, you know, big, unique feature that they certainly, you know, we got a good look at it a couple times on the broadcast. It's the dual jumbotrons. Like that is yes. wild. And I know, you know, the players were joking on the bench about, you know, I don't, I don't know where to look right, left or right. Cause we're so programmed to look center for something like that. What was it you know, like having two of those there? You know, it was, uh, it, it took an adjustment really, because one thing that you have to remember is that the best view for you may not always be in the jumbotron that's closest to you, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, turns out the far jumbotron had a screen that was kind of angled directly at me and the near ones were just a little bit off, but they're big enough that I was found myself looking at the far jumbotron more often than the near one, uh, which was a bit of an adjustment, but man, there's always a good view of whatever's going on on the jumbotron. So, I mean, there, there's not a missed angle there. Uh, so I like what they were able to do with it. Um, and they're not just a, uh, you know, a cube shape. They kind of have this, you know, angled, um, geez, I don't know what to call it, but they were, they had these, they were using the screens as squares and then they had that, you know, angled section look like the hull of a, of a boat, of a ship. I don't know if you caught that, were able to catch that on the broadcast, but I thought that was a really cool feature and a way to kind of use the screen to create an effect there. Yeah, no, we weren't able to get a lot of, you know, kind of detailed shots on, well, anything on the broadcast. <laughs> um, you know, kind of before we get into, like, the actual game experience, just finishing up with the arena, you know, anything notable about, like, the concourse sections, you know, anywhere where they have... I don't think you, you probably got into any of the lounges, but, um, you know, just kind of walking around the outer parts of the arena, you know, anything notable that you want to bring up? Yes. Um, so you've got, you know, kind of that top level, which you can see if you just walk by the arena. Just And that's one thing I like about the arena, too, is that you've got these glass windows that if you're just happen to be outside the arena, you can walk around and see a lot of what that top concourse looks like. You can see the restaurants inside. You can kind of have that experience of seeing what it's like. Uh, and it gives it kind of an open feel. And just like where you can look in at the rink during the game, it kind of provides a sense of community, even if you're not really in the building. Um, so then you go down a level and you've got kind of the lower bowl concourse. And I found that very interesting. You've got the Kraken team store there, uh, down the escalator. Oh, by the way, like on the side of the escalator, they've got this like under screen showing like underwater, you know, you've got coral and all these underwater plants. I mean, they really do kind of set the mood there. Um, going around, you've got the climate pledge plant wall, which I know a lot of pictures have circulated of. Uh, there was some speculation that that might be cut, basically become the selfie wall. And certainly through the first game, that was the case. Every time I walked by, there were a whole bunch of people just taking selfies in front of the plants and the climate pledge thing. Uh, so that's definitely a, a, a big draw for people. Uh, and that was cool to see. Um, I just, I like kind of how open it felt too. In a lot of arenas, you can kind of feel closed in in those concourses and there's not a whole lot of room, but they made sure to make it, you know, all the walkways pretty wide and give it more of an open feel, which I enjoyed. Uh, and lots of areas where you can kind of just look down at the ice too. It felt almost, might've been almost more like a ballpark, you know, like a baseball ballpark going around where you lots of views down at the field as you're go going around. So uh, I did like that level. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. You so excited to you know eventually get in there um so you mentioned kind of with the jumbotrons they had some you know stuff that you know kind of reminded you of a ship's hull was there any more kind of nautical type theme stuff around the arena anything kind of setting the mood for a kraken i know we, we aren't going to see a kraken but um you know just kind of more touches to give you that feel yes and i mentioned it a little bit with that screen with all the nautical imagery um and there's lots of kind of screen signs everywhere that just have, you know, nautical sea-based things uh, that kind of give you that feel. You can tell they've kind of gone into the little details. Um, they had uh, these signs normally at the arena, you know, you're not supposed to walk down into the aisles while play is going. 
uh, and they have signs that basically just say stop, you know, that the ushers hold. But um, they said, oh, what did they say? It's something like park your ship or something. <laughs> it was it was something like that. So, you know, they, you could tell they thought about the details there and trying to set the set the theme. Um, and uh, also, I have to mention the eye. I don't know if you could see that on the broadcast, uh, but it was right above that window section where the fans could look in from outside. Uh, they had a big Kraken eye that was just there the entire game. I would have liked to see them do more with it, I guess, with some kind of effect or in the intro show. We'll get to that later because we'll talk about the intro show and everything. But they had that Kraken eye that was just ever present, you know, up at the top of the building. Yeah. Was it, is it like, like a, like a cling or something that's on there? Was it projected on? Was I it believe a it was projected. Okay. Yeah, I think it was projected. And, and it didn't have like any movement, like it didn't blink or anything like that. Kind of look around. I didn't, I didn't notice it blink. Um, but you know that that would be something to add. Yeah, I didn't notice it blink, but it felt like it wasn't totally stagnant. Maybe that's because it was projected, and maybe the projector, you know, mm -hmm. moving around yeah. a little bit. But it felt like there was definitely some movement to it, like it was alive a little bit. But I didn't see it blink. Okay. Well, I mean, you kind of mentioned it there. We can we can kind of move into you know the pregame experience because that's what I think a lot of us were curious about. We didn't get to see basically any of it as part of the broadcast like they, that is a shame they started introducing things and then they were like we'll be right back and then they went to like a seven minute commercial and then they came back for the national anthem and it was just like what like we it, and it was it was clear they were setting things up and we just missed out on all of it so i'm very curious you know what you know a was there a pregame show and you know kind of what was it okay yes there was a pregame show and there were kind of, I'll say, four elements to it. Um, one, you had the speech by Gary Bettman. Uh, I don't know. I guess you didn't get to see any of that. We All we saw was the, uh, the wiki speech. That was it. Okay. Okay. So thank you. That helps. So there was a speech by Gary Bettman. He was up on the uh, little stage area kind of at the top of the, uh, of the arena. And... It's a Gary Bettman speech. He talks about, you know, how great the market is and, you know, how wonderful it is to have a city there. It's standard Gary Bettman speech. Yes, he was booed quite a bit as he was introduced, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have the Bettman speech and that kind of kicks things off. Um, you know, it, it doesn't bring a ton of energy, I suppose. It's a Gary Bettman speech. It is what it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and then you have the Lewicki speech, which I guess you did see. Some of, mm -hmm. some of, or all of, um, and it started strong, you know, so we did it, you know, we're here, we got the team, you know, we are a you know, national hockey league market and the crowd, I got the crowd super fired up and, uh, I thought he did a really good job at the start. It kind of tailed off a bit as he started kind of, you know, bragging about all the season ticket deposits and, you know, you can't keep a CEO from being a CEO for that long. <laughs> You know, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna talk about that stuff. Uh, and I got some comments on that, you know, in my texts and mentions, just like, why is he bragging about season ticket deposits now? <laughs> you know, so tailed off a little bit. Uh, but then it concluded with, uh, them raising that number 32, uh, to the rafters. And we were kind of wondering what they were going to do with that. It was clear from the beginning that 32 was a number that was kind of reserved for the fans. Uh, I saw a lot of number 32 jerseys, usually with Kraken on the back. Uh, and I do think that's a cool element to just kind of have a number for the fans uh, that, you know, that they can, that they can uh, relate to and to have it up in the rafters. I don't have a problem with that. I think we got some comments saying it's cheesy. It's, you know, I like it. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, I liked it too. I think anytime a team is willing to acknowledge the fans in that way and try to incorporate them into the organization, really, uh, right? Like, you know, no one's going to wear that number on the ice because it's yours, so to speak. And I and I get how some people think that's cheesy. I get how some people think, oh, they're just stealing that gimmick from the, from the Seahawks, whatever. But I kind of like the fact that, you know, it's another Seattle team that's doing that. I think that shows how, you know, much the organizations respect and value the Seattle fan base that, 
you know, they acknowledge it in the best way they can. I mean, they're not going to, you know, just start giving away like free tickets to everybody or something to be like, wow, you guys are awesome here. Just like come to the game for free. Right. Like that's unrealistic. But for them to do something like that, I think is is, you know, a, a form of acknowledgement again. Right. It, you know, you're talking about CEOs and guys doing this stuff. That's that's kind of as, as good as it gets as far as acknowledgement from some of those business people. But uh, I, I'm in favor of it. I think it's cool. Um, I get that, you know, some people thought it was cheesy or whatever, but, uh, I think in the long run, it was a good idea. Yeah. Agreed. And it's, it's one of those things that I think it can be cheesy depending on how you do it and the market. But I think at the end of the day, it just fits this market. I mean, you already have the Seahawks and the twelves and everything Seattle. This is a market where the fans play a bigger role than, than in most markets. Mm -hmm. So I think it fits really well. Uh, so from there, you got the Laiwiki speech. And then you have the player intros, uh, which are always interesting. It's it's always cool to see, you know, who gets the biggest cheer, that kind of thing. For my money, it was Tanev, uh, Grubauer probably a close second. Um, you know, Yanni Gord with some big, all the guys you'd expect with big cheers. But I think Tanev just edged him out. I think he was probably uh, the most popular one there on the player intros. Um, yeah, we and, we got yeah. to we got to see that and. Um... It was it was hard to tell through the broadcast. Um, you could definitely tell the Grubauer one just because it was obviously different mm, yeah. as everybody was shouting Gru. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I I will I don't think any of us would be surprised if Tanev was you know the guy. Yeah, and I'm gonna talk about that since it came up the the Grubauer the Gru chance. Man, the fans had that down from the very start. I mean, it's like he was already you know playing for five years with the team. You know, he was, uh, you know, obviously very popular and, and early on making those big saves, too. That was what the biggest fan reaction was, because there wasn't a goal all that early on. Uh, and he was asked after the game uh, at the media availability, you know, how do you feel about the Gru chance and everything? He said he loves it. So keep them coming. Uh, that was great to see. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of where we, you know, stopped coverage before the national anthem. But, you know. Was there anything? Did they project anything on the ice like we were hoping That's... for? No, they did not. Ugh. They did have, okay, they had a little, and that's the fourth part I was going to talk about. They had a little pump up kind of thing, but it was the most standard, you know, just previous few games, highlights, video uh, that I, you know, it, there was nothing out of the ordinary. There was no projection on the ice. There was no kind of atmosphere setting. You know, all the stuff that we were, you know, kind of hoping for. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Nothing. So I think overall it was, I, I would say it's pretty underwhelming. Uh, there, there just wasn't a whole lot, uh, you know, of theatrics. And I know this isn't Vegas. I didn't want a huge show like Vegas had, but I expected something that would make it feel, I guess, a little different than just a standard NHL game, because I'd see that, you know, past few game highlights set to some energetic music video. I, I would see that anywhere for any regular season game. Uh, and it just didn't feel any different. Now, I will mention um, someone did uh, uh, tweet something to that, to that effect. You know, there wasn't a wow moment production wise. Uh, and that's that was last night. And then Tim Lywicki actually responded on Twitter. He said, be patient. It's coming. First night has to be about history. So maybe we'll see something else for future games. But if you've got something, I don't know why you don't, you know, why you don't use it there for the first night. It can be about history. You can have the Bettman speech. You can have Lywicki speech. You can have the banner raising. And then you can also have a really cool show after that. I don't see why those things have to be mutually exclusive. And yes, if it runs like half an hour beyond the broadcast start time, so what? It's the first ever home game. Like everyone's going to expect it. Don't do it every night like Vegas does. But, you know, you could have it for that first game. So I still would have liked to see more. Yeah, I mean, home opener, first, you know, game in the new building. You want to set the stage of, you know, if, if they're like slogans going to be fear the deep. You got to like set that up. You got to get the fans going. You got to kind of, you know, let fans in on kind of what you want, how to make that building hostile to visiting teams. And the opening night is generally the time to do that. 
Um, you know, I talked about it on the post game show a little bit. Obviously, the next game's against Montreal. There is history between Seattle hockey teams and Montreal going back to over a hundred years ago. Of course, with the uh, the 1919 Stanley Cup that was not awarded to either team because it had to be canceled uh, midway through. So, you know, I thought maybe they would do you know incorporate some Seattle history stuff. They might hold that for that game. Um, was there any mention of like the Metropolitans or anything? during this none whatsoever that i remember i mean there was i think like a trivia question or something at intermission you know but no no real honoring the metropolitans pretty much nothing for that that you make a good point i could see them holding it for that montreal game and if that's what they decide to do totally fine i have no issues with it, it might even be better uh you know to to kind of make that game special uh but yeah nothing really i did not expect the 32 banner raising I thought instead it would be like a Metropolitan's Stanley Cup banner raising. That would be more likely, but uh, nothing of the sort last night. Yeah, I, I, yeah. as far as the history stuff, I could see some of that being saved for the Montreal game. It's still disappointing that they didn't have more going on for this. I think you bring up a good point, though. It's, it is possible that that was because this was you know a, a featured game on Espen Plus. They might not have wanted to alter the timeline there too, too much. Um but, you know, again, that's that's unfortunate if that is the case. Um, so, you know, then we had the the national anthems, of course, Seattle singing legend Ann Wilson did a great job with the national oh, she anthem. Killed it. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you you mentioned in the post game, not a big red glare ch- chant. Nope. Yeah, it didn't get going. I was listening for it. Uh but no, I mean, there there really wasn't much. You could, there were kind of, I guess, a scattered few people that may have said it louder, but it it definitely didn't didn't go with the effect that we were that we were thinking. Yeah, and you know, I thought about it while listening because I was trying to listen for it. Um, it is maybe in a in a slightly awkward part of the song to to have it mm-hmm. thrown in there because it's not like at the end of a phrase the way like you know some uh-huh. of the other stuff is night, but. Um, I also think part of it was she was just killing it and everyone was just listening to her. And <laughs> that was that yeah. was part of it. Um, and then, you know, the game went underway as far as, you know, you mentioned it earlier a little bit, like intermission trivia stuff. A lot of fun stuff on the video board during like TV timeouts or during intermissions. Did they, you know, kind of do anything fun or was it all like the standard uh, game stuff? It was pretty standard game stuff. I mean, there there wasn't, a whole lot going on in intermission it certainly wasn't like vegas where it was just a constant you know show where it never ended which is good i don't want that in seattle um but yeah it was it was fairly standard excuse me it was fairly standard and um yeah not a whole lot that really stood out for me uh they had you know a little trivia section i mentioned where they had a fan come up and do trivia you know just it was like true or false and then the last question was you know the kraken already have the best fans in the nhl and you know true yeah okay you know it's it's like not too original but um yeah it, it was what it was as far as some of the other jumbotron graphics because you did have like the power play uh, and the penalty kill, things like that. Um, for the power play, I like the uh, like that little like siren that they do. I don't know if you caught that on the broadcast, mm-hmm. um, but you know, as they're announcing it for the power play, they have um, like a little siren that they that they uh, play, which I love the sound of it. I think it like fits. It kind of sets the mood. What I would like to see is uh, something that's more consistent as far as like what they play when we're going to the power play uh, on the first crack in power play, you know, guy takes the penalty, goes, the, sits in the box. And then the announcement is, you know, penalty to Vancouver, you know, which means that, you know, th- they are in the Coors Light freeze zone or something. And, and I, and they, pl- they posted a graphic on the jumbotron that had said like Coors Light freeze zone and then it had, you know, little ice specks or whatever. And it had a little clear area, kind of like a rectangle shape, like they were supposed to be showing the guy in the penalty box. And I looked in the penalty at the penalty box boards and there's like a Coors Light ad right on the outside of it. So I could tell what they're going for. 
but they were already lined up for the face-off. And so the Jumbotron was just showing Jaden Schwartz like off the face-off in the Coors Light freeze zone. <laughs> there was no announcement that it was going to be a Kraken power play or anything like that, um, which I was surprised to see because I was in the building a little early. And so I saw them rehearsing the power play announcement and I thought it was cool. It said, you know, the Kraken are on the, and the fans are supposed to finish it. Power play. And I'm like, well, okay, where was that? Puck drops and, like, the power play starts. None of that. So I think they may have messed that up a little bit. Uh, on the second power play, they did do the, you know, and, and the PA announcer said, you know, like, all right, you know, fans, I'll start it. You finish it. You know, the Kraken are on the... And then you could tell the fans weren't ready for it. And the PA announcer just said, uh, power play. <laughs> <laughs> so he started it. He finished it. Um, so I think there are little little kinks that need to be worked out with some of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's stuff that could be worked out over the course of a season, but you could tell it was still a little bit rough. Yeah, you know, first game in the building. They didn't exactly get preseason to warm up everybody up, up yep. there, so that, that makes sense. Um, kind of move on to music, because that was something, you know, we talked a lot about, kind of trying to guess ahead of time um i heard just through the through the broadcast you know a, a handful of the songs i brought up uh some in some situations yep. that i thought they would be in others in others um you know i had kind of guessed that they're like come out and skate around song might be can't hold us i heard that to start the second period so and i liked it then. Right. i thought it was time perfectly then that's yeah it was good um, and they had Macklemore there. Somehow I completely missed when they showed him on the Jumbotron. I guess I had, I was watching the face off or whatever, but that's the one celebrity appearance that I just totally missed on the Jumbotron. I checked Twitter like, oh, Macklemore was here, but of course he was. Yeah, of course. It's a given. Do you remember what the actual like come out and skate around song was? You know what? I, I mean, I, did I, they, I, did I they don't even... think they had because they were doing the player intros. They didn't have a traditional like come out and skate around. They didn't really do that because it was the player intros first. So I don't think they had one, uh, if I remember correctly. And I, I was kind of trying to, you know, there was so much going on. Mm -hmm. I was trying to, you know, make sure to to catch all the big moments, all the big things. But I, I don't remember them having one. So we'll see for the Montreal game because those player intros aren't going to happen every night they didn't announce the starting lineup like they normally would you know your starters time it was just everyone on the roster which is what they do for the home opener yeah so i think we'll see something a little bit different next game yeah that's what i was thinking is you know we'll we'll see um penalty box you know when uh when they went in first uh when vancouver went in first we heard man the box allison chains we you yeah. know felt pretty Victory. confident that was going to happen later though i think on the um the Carson Soucy tripping call. I heard Rusty Cage play in which, you know, was my like, mm -hmm. I want that for the goal song. I think it does work for a penalty box song though. Um, glad to hear that. You know, we heard before the game, it was kind of confirmed on Twitter. Lithium is the goal song. Yep, um, it is, which I had it stuck in my head for like th that, you know, that little riff from the, from Lithium just stuck in my head all night, which is not a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, that it's definitely, you know, has a catchiness to it. Yeah, I guess the one question I had was, you know, depending on what part of the song they were playing, if he, if you know, it gets to the point where he's saying, you know, I like it, I'm not gonna crack. Would the, you know, the crowd chant crack through that? Well, no. It, okay, it goes, you know, I like it, and then the crowd's supposed to say, "Let's go cracking." It's supposed to, uh, okay. I like it, let's go cracking. But I didn't really hear the crowd get into. I mean, again, it's one of those things you kind of have to be given advance notice of, you know. Um, so I saw it on the rehearsals and they have a little like it, they, it says, let's go cracking in the audio that they play. They added that in, um, which kind of, I guess, is like a prompt to the fans there. Um, but so I was expecting it because I had heard it ahead of time. But I think a lot of the fans that were there didn't didn't really know that was coming. Uh, so we'll see if that catches on. Yeah, I mean, that kind of really changes the melody of that chorus it does. section it does. in a big way. So that's kind of interesting that they would... Uh even try that so um yeah so that was kind of it for music as far as what we could tell um from there and anything else that stood out music wise well since um nothing really music wise uh, since we were i don't know when we were getting getting it to it but since we were talking about the goals talk about the goal horn um mm -hmm. 
again, it's the fairy horn. It's perfect. It sounds great. I heard, though, that you had trouble hearing it on the broadcast. Is that true? Yeah, I'd never heard it. Okay. So I could hear it pretty clearly in the building. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't as loud as some other NHL goal horns, that's for sure. Uh, it does kind of get lost in the fan noise when it's the building is really loud. Um, but I still think, as I mentioned earlier, I think the building still has kind of another couple gears it can get to noise-wise. So when it really, really gets rocking like to the peak that it can, I don't know that you're going to be able to hear the goal horn. But maybe that's not such a bad thing. But it is, it is a great goal horn. It's just perfect, the fairy horn. Yeah, I mean, that's always one of those delicate balance things because I think you and I have both been to games where like, the goal horn is way too loud and it's just like the shrieking piercing thing that you know if it stayed on too long it would drive you insane um but you do want to hear it because that is part of the experience you see the puck go in the net you jump up out of your seat that horn goes off that's part of what makes hockey games so exciting to be at yeah and you know what as far as like the shrieking piercing it's probably it might be the most pleasant sounding goal horn in the nhl that i've heard yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is, um, which is definitely, you know, uh, a good thing. Um, anything else you want to talk about as far as the, you know, the in-game experience uh, before we kind of move on to talking about the game itself? Uh, no, I think we just about covered it all. Awesome. So, uh, you know, that was their the Kraken's third game that they've played since we last did a podcast. Of course, we had the... 6-1 loss to the Flyers way back on Monday. That was just a brutal game from start to finish. Don't know that we really need to linger on that one too much. Then we had that loss to the Devils afterwards where things were maybe a little better, but still not great. The general consensus last night, though, from you know me, from the chat in the postgame, was that this was you know potentially the best game we've seen the Kraken play all year. It seemed like they had used that time off to you know really work on things like the transition game. They didn't play nearly as conservative defensively. Um, it seemed like they really were you know played the full sixty minutes for the most part, which wasn't you know something we had seen too much. Uh, kind of what was just your general thoughts as far as how they played last night? Well. That certainly echoes the sentiment that was given by Dave Haxtell and by all the players that were interviewed to a man. Uh, they felt that, you know, Haxtell called it, you know, possibly our best 60 minutes of the season. You know, the players talked about how they improved their neutral zone play, which is what they set out to do in the last couple of days of practice. And I have to say, I agree with their assessment. Uh, they picked a piece of their game to work on and improve one that was probably the most pressing after the last two games against Philadelphia and New Jersey. And they spent two days just working on it and working on it. And it came out much improved. And uh, I believe it was Mark Giordano who said, you know, if we play every game like that, we're going to be all right more nights than not. I, I agree with that somewhat. I think you know, there are certain things that are going to have to be cleaned up on top of what they've done. But if their neutral zone play, their transition play is like that every night, I think you're going to get good results. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we noticed kind of right away when the regular season started was that the team was kind of, kind of stuck in this halfway between trying to be, you know, a physical grinded out team and being a team that plays with high energy and speed because they do have guys that can do that, uh, you know, despite the fact that they're such a large team. And it felt like, you know, they kind of tried some more of the physical grinded out stuff. I don't know that it's really just going to work in today's NHL anymore for just about any team, uh, the way so many teams are built around speed and just how the game has changed. Um, I, I really felt like last night they, they said, okay, we're going to focus on speed. We're going to focus on, you know, outlet passes from the zone. I felt like that was the most confident and comfortable defenseman were moving the puck out of their zone. We saw guys carry the puck, you know, into the offensive zone in the middle of the ice instead of just along the Finally. boards. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. 
And then once they were in the offensive zone, one of the things that I thought really helped them um, was there was a lot more east-west passing than we've seen from the Kraken, right? Usually when they want to send it, you know, kind of to the other side, they'll they'll either do it through the point man or they'll just kind of, you know, shoot it around the boards behind the net. But, you know, there was a decent amount of east-west passing that I feel like is is what this team was lacking as far as, you know, on the power play, drawing defenders, right? They have to step up, try to be in those passing lanes. Um, at other times, it you know it just gets the goalie moving laterally, opens up the five hole, or if you're quick enough, you know you can maybe get a one timer off. So I was really happy to see that offensively from them. You know, in addition to just their energy when forechecking. Yeah, I, I think they definitely changed things up as far as a lot of their looks going into the zone. Um, and you look at Giordano's go-ahead goal, where that's a quick transition play. They take a puck away in the neutral zone and get it moving into the offensive zone very fast. And you get a defenseman who's stepping up into the play. They move the puck over to him quickly and a good shot and it's in the net. Um, you kind of see examples of different looks that they didn't really have the last two or three games and it's things that they've added to their game and and especially watching them practice it you know that those two days in practice you could see it on the ice at the at the ice plex and then you could see it on the ice in the game which was cool to see uh so offensively i think you had those varied looks that we were looking for uh which is a, an encouraging sign uh and also i want to talk about defensively uh that was where uh Hackstall was after the game talking about is what they really improved. They talked about neutral zone play a lot and that, you know, that has the offensive side to it and the defensive side to it, but defensively, they really, they closed their gaps. They stopped giving their opponents the blue line easily. Uh, and you know, often it was the blue line plus 10 feet of space in that flyers game. Um, that was stopped almost entirely. I mean, they really didn't give up many chances off the rush at all, which was probably their biggest issue in those two games against Philadelphia and New Jersey. And I mean, th there was just nothing to work with for the Canucks on the rush there. I mean, Haxtell did acknowledge that that, that final, that go ahead goal from Garland did come off the rush, but that was just a bounce over Vince Dunn's stick. And then it's a one-on-one -on -one battle and, you know, just one guy outskated the other. That's not something that systems can help you with at all. Um, so overall, I, I was even more impressed with what they were able to do defensively. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing defensively that I felt like they worked on and did a much better job of doing was, you know, they, they really did not give the, the Canucks any time and space when, you know, one of them had the puck, right? There was always someone right there on them. They weren't necessarily creating turnovers, but you don't have to, as long as the Canucks don't have, you know, the time and space to set anything up, they have to be working, you know, kind of really quick on instinct. That's how you do get, um, you know, bad passes made, stuff like that. You know, we saw in that Flyers game, right? The Flyers could just sit there and they could do whatever they wanted. They were able to find guys wide open in the slot. Like there was just defensive breakdowns. Guys were just kind of chasing the puck here it was very much everybody kind of had their man they weren't giving them time and space they were really pressuring them not letting them feel comfortable in the offensive zone if you're the Canucks and I think that contributed a lot you know we weren't seeing the Canucks having some of the easy shots that we saw you know the Devils and Flyers have earlier in the week and and I think that's a big big improvement there for them kind of let's move on to Grubauer and goaltending I do think we need to talk about that. Yeah, you know, lot, lots of talk in the post-game chat about, you know, some soft goals, some stuff like that. On the first one that kind of snuck through five hole, that one certainly looked the softest. I want your opinion on this because one of the things I, you know, considered while looking at it was you have Giordano kind of dive in front of the shot. And I, and I kind of wondered if that obscured Grubauer's ability to see the release and that affected his timing going down. Um, I, I don't know. You've you've played a little bit more goalie than I have. Um, I, I just kind of, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think it it may have had a, a little bit of an impact. It's one of those things that, um, especially as kind of finely tuned as NHL goalies are, a little thing like not being able to see a little bit of the release can can make a big difference. Even so, I, I'm. You know, I'm not going to let Grubauer off the hook for that one just because it's one where no matter what the release looks like, you have to make sure your five hole is closed. 
it's one of those things that just the stick has to be in the right position. The pads have to be in the right position. And I don't think he would let himself off the hook for that one. Um, but I think the bigger factor in that goal was the fact that that was the first shot that Grubauer had seen in about 16 minutes. The Kraken hadn't allowed a shot on goal since about five minutes to go in the prior period. And it was already like 10 minutes to go in, you know, in that period. Um, so I think that probably made a bigger difference. And this is a theme that we're starting to see from Grubauer this season, where he needs shots on him to stay warm, to stay in the game. And generally, the more shots he has on him and in quicker succession, the better he is. Now, it's tough because obviously you don't want to allow a whole bunch of shots on goal or high quality ones. Uh, and if you can go 16 minutes without allowing a shot on goal, that's a great thing usually. Uh, but unfortunately, it does seem to be this theme with Grubauer where he just needs some action to kind of stay on his game. Uh, and you see goals like that when he's standing on his head in the first period facing much higher danger chances. Uh, and then one like that goes in. So I just, I, I don't know what you do about that. Yeah. It's tough for any goalie. It, it is. And, you know, <laughs> there were some people talking about that. You know, we brought that up uh, last night, the post game. You know, not only was it nearly 17 minutes without facing a shot, but there was also an intermission in there, too. Right. And yep. and so it's an even longer, you know, time without having any anything going on. I do think that that played a role. That's, you know, again, something you and I have been talking about for a while now with Group Hour since the beginning of the preseason. Uh, you know, some people were talking about they should just start taking shots on him, the, the crack in themselves, just, <laughs> just give him some easy ones, get a, get a, keep him warm a little bit. Um, you know, I've never really seen like during TV timeouts, a team ever take, you know, maybe a couple shots on their goalie or something, but maybe that's something to consider. Um, Hey, you know what? It's, I mean, Hey, the Kraken are supposed to be this innovative team. You know, I, during TV time, there's no harm. If one goes in, you're not going to get, I don't know if you could get the puck for that though. That's that was the question I I thought of last night after uh, we talked about it, um, but yeah, it is one of those things that you know I, I do think he's kind of got to figure out, um, and the team's kind of got to figure out, right? Uh, we mentioned you know talking about whether or not he should start the next game against Montreal. I said, look, that's a decision that the coach has to make by actually knowing the goalie, right? You and I don't mm -hmm. really know Grubauer at all. We don't know what his mental makeup is what he likes, you know, is he the kind of guy that, you know, needs a night off after a rough game or is he the kind of guy that needs to be right back in there to work himself out of it? It's hard to say. Um, so, you know, I think, but I do think it's something that, you know, maybe Hackstall or the goaltending coach talks to Grubauer about, Hey, let's find some way of keeping you, you know, kind of, I don't want to say engaged, but but, you know, certainly staying on your game during these long stretches, because even through some of the bad games that the Kraken have played, there are prolonged sp stretches where this team dominates possession and dominates the shot advantage. So if that's going to you know continue to be a regular thing, then it is something that needs to be addressed with Grubauer. Absolutely. And I, I don't see that changing just given the way the Kraken want to play. I think there are going to be times where they're just going to dominate possession and Grubauer signed long term. This is something you've got to figure out. You know, it's still early. There's still time to do it. Grubauer's a heck of a goalie. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And uh, I didn't feel like the second goal was as much his fault. Um, it it was, you know, on the PK. And I, I talked last night about, you know, it was the puck moved across. There was the defensive transition from Lausanne on, you know, if you're Grubauer, his left side to Larson. Larson stepped up to make the to try to make a play on the right side. Lausanne came over, but he didn't pick up Horvat, which was the the you know the man essentially in front of the net. He just kind of centered himself. He didn't play the man. That left Bo Horvat uh open for his second goal of the night. I you know I don't necessarily want to put that one too much on Grubauer. That was a quick pass across to a wide open guy who's got that time and space there. Um and then on the Connor Garland one, yeah, that one was just Super, super unfortunate, totally heartbreaking to see that puck jump over Vince Dunn's stick and go. Not much that can be said about that. I, I said maybe Alexiak could dive in that situation coming in because he's got the long reach. Maybe you can try to poke check that. But yeah, um, I don't know that he could have limited the shot to be any any worse 
quality, you know, like that than than it was. I just don't think he could have. Garland's getting that shot from that space at that point. Yeah, and then I don't know if you know this, but they talked about it during the broadcast because they, you know, had the wonderful Emily Kaplan in, you know, between the boards and between the benches. She talked about how during one of the previous stoppages, Garland was taking a lot of heat from um, some Kraken fans right behind the Vancouver bench, and he, you know, didn't pay them any mind. He was retaping his stick, didn't pay him any mind. But after he scored that goal, he came over and they showed the death stare he gave the fan that was giving him some grief. And oh wow, wow. Like I don't know how that fan left that building. Like that, that that stare looked like it was just gonna burn a hole right through him. That it was it was intense. So um, that's a little unfortunate. Obviously, you want to try to make the building hostile, but you know maybe try to limit the bulletin board material too. Yeah, but uh, that was definitely something. Um, obviously, for the Kraken, two goals scored both by defensemen we've seen the defensemen want to be active in the offense especially guys like Vince Dunn and Mark Giordano saw that again tonight I thought both goals they they both demonstrated great patience on the Vince Dunn goal he was patient with it JT Miller kind of slid out of the shooting lane and then Dunn was able to take advantage of that by kind of just waiting out the defender I thought Giordano kind of did the same thing Demko had pushed off and he waited just long enough for Demko to slide a little bit too far over to his right right Mm -hmm. um but you know how okay with you are how okay with seeing these defensemen continue to try to be really really active in the offense are you considering we are seeing you know some rough transition game going the other way through some of these games and certainly some you know maybe mismanaged um, opportunities in their own zone. Like, do you think the the defensemen are focusing a little too much on offense or do you think it's just one of these things that over the course of an 82 game season, it'll work itself out? I don't have a problem with how they're focusing on offense, particularly Vince Dunn, because he's not a player that you ever want to rein in. I thought that he had a great game last night. Uh, you saw that first goal. And then for the next few shifts afterward, like you know, in the next period, he was just feeling it. I mean, how he was activating the defensive zone, spinning away from defenders, often several times on the same defender, just until something opened up in the play. Um, I love when he's confident like that. Uh, and he's definitely not someone you want to put a leash on at all as far as offensive creativity. So certainly uh, let, let Vince Dunn continue to do what he's doing. Um, and you look at that one really unfortunate, you know, mistake that was there, you know, on, on the, the ultimate game winning goal. And, and that didn't come as a result of him being too aggressive or too creative or anything like that. A puck just bounced over his stick. It could happen to anyone at any time. And it's, you know, it, it's just unfortunate because he had such a great game up until that point. And that didn't even, you know, that's not even a knock on him in that game. Um, so it didn't come from him being too creative. Uh, Giordano, similar case. He had a goal. He jumped up into the play, contributed offensively. But he also was largely responsible for a goal against. Uh, and it was coming from behind his own net. He's trying to break the puck out. I don't think that's a case of of trying to focus on offense too much. I think he just he had all the time in the world to to you know wait with that puck to find the proper pass. I suppose he did think he saw something up along the boards and you know risk reward it's probably a bad move to make cuz like best case scenario you get a decent breakout. Worst case we saw what happened. But yeah, I, I it's one of those where you'd like to be a little more deliberate in your breakout, but certainly anything in the neutral zone, the offensive zone, uh, let Geo continue to be creative and, and think offensively. Yeah. So kind of working along the lines of creativity, um, you know, that's one of the things that we were excited about Yanni Gord coming back into the lineup. He's been, you know, it's obvious when he is out there with the puck, he's trying to do things that no one else in this lineup tries to do. Um, he's trying to be creative. He's, he's, you know, if he sees something that the defense is going to open up, he's going to try to take advantage of it. He's not going to stick to a system. I'm all for that. I think that's, you know, kind of how you have to play hockey. It's a fast moving game. I don't think you can stay rigid to a system just because of, you know, the amount of, you know, seemingly or, or, you know, random events that can happen. Um, but there was a couple times last night where, you know, Part of the price you pay for being creative and pulling some stuff out when you shouldn't necessarily is you have some rough plays. 
Uh, Gord had a couple passes. You know, he had good shooting opportunities and then would just try to pass a puck. He, he tried to pass through traffic a couple times. Um, you know, but I, I'm not in favor of trying to reel him in, at least not yet. I assume you're thinking the same. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, it's no secret. I love Yanni Gord's game. And I think he's just trying to create out there. He's trying to create something. And unfortunately, I think to this point, his line mates haven't really been able to fully keep up with what he's been trying to do. I think you need someone else out there on the ice that thinks the way he does. And I will say those players are rare. Um, you know, they, they, they kind of think that way offensively. Honestly, I don't know if there's even another one on the Kraken roster right now. But, you know, he, he, it's tough because he's trying to go out there and create, but he's trying to do a lot of it himself, um, which I think that's another thing they need to work out is, you know, how do you make this work given the players that you have? Um, but I, I certainly wouldn't try and rein him in. I mean, that one play where he's... Uh, I think it was the third period where he's coming in um, along the right side boards and just drives the net mm-hmm. and, and takes it entirely to the other side. I mean, Demko made a great save, but wow. I mean, that's that's the kind of net front drive that is rare that, again, give me some of that from Mason Appleton, please. But um, yeah, that was amazing. I, I stood up out of my seat with that one. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't try and rein him in. Yeah, no, that was a great play. I thought Mason Appleton played a really good game last night. Um, arguably yes. best we've seen from him. For sure. I think it was the best we've seen from Man, if not for a heck of a Demko save there on that breakaway. I mean, and that's one of the things that we saw from Appleton that we like. He recognized the play was going the other way, that there was going to be the opportunity for that chip pass up to him. You know, he read it quickly. He was decisive and he got rewarded with a breakaway and... A pretty good shot that that almost uh, squeaked through. Yeah, no, this was the Appleton that we were hoping we would get from the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, kind of, you know, wrapping up, but you know, two things from the lineup that I do want to bring up. Callie Yarncroke came back. I thought he played a really good game. I thought he was excellent on the PK, and I think just his style of hockey, um, the way he forechecks, the way he backchecks his two-way game. I think even though he doesn't necessarily play with a ton of speed, I do think he was part of why that transition game and why their neutral zone game, you know, was vastly different in this game. Yeah. He allows you to do a lot of things in the neutral zone that you really aren't able to do otherwise. Uh, And yeah, we saw his value in that game and I like him back on the second power play unit. It really does shore things up there too. Yeah. Um, But him coming back did come at the expense of Ryan Donato who was, you know, healthy scratch, not in the lineup. I still would like to find a place for Donato in the lineup. I just feel like through all those games, even the games that, you know, we would classify as bad games by the Kraken, he he was always getting at least one really good offensive chance. He wasn't necessarily always lucky with certain bounces, but he's been, you know, kind of the guy more so than anyone that has been trying to create offense and been, you know, kind of successful at it yeah he's provided you know arguably the most of certain qualities that the kraken have been in desperate need of so far this season and it's tough to have to leave him out of the lineup um you know but you have to ask the question well then who do you take out and you know before last night i would have said appleton that would probably be the one to go with um you know maybe bastion even though bastion's played really well but at the end of the day, even if you do that, then then Donato's still kind of in a bottom six role, which we know isn't the right spot for him. Um, so it's it's tricky. There's only so many spots in the top six, and a lot of them are occupied for sure by certain guys. Um, so it's it's something that I think the Kraken are gonna have to try and figure out because I just I wouldn't want him sitting in the press box for too many games. Yeah, and then uh, lastly. Was there any talk about um, geeky during the post game stuff? Um, no, I I didn't hear anything about geeky. What's there was a couple of people that brought up in chat not really seeing him much in the third period. I hadn't you know totally noticed that, but you know, then now I was that I trying think to about it. yeah. But then as I was thinking about it, I didn't really I couldn't think of him either. But I didn't know if that was just like you know he wasn't really involved in things or if he was actually you know, off, um, obviously, you know, he had that scary hit in the New Jersey game. 
worked all mm-hmm. week to come back for this one. So I, I didn't know if there, you know, Hackstall or anybody had, had mentioned anything. Well, I'm checking. He had nine minutes, 18 seconds of total ice time, which was second lowest on the team. So it's low, but it's not, you know, like five minutes, not unheard of. I don't know what his third period ice time was, but you're right. I didn't really notice him a whole lot in the third it could just be a coach's decision. We've seen Haxtell do this before with Barry Boulay, uh, you know, basically just playing one shift in the third. And, and NHL coaches do it all the time. If they feel like someone just doesn't have it that night, you know, they'll they'll play someone else in the third. That's not something that's unheard of. You know, Geeky will be back. He'll, he'll be, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be playing plenty. So I don't think that that's an issue. Now, before we wrap up, I did want to mention something because... I did see a lot of comments on Twitter and in chat various places about from people who are really starting to be kind of worried about where the team is at. Obviously this record is not what you wanted, you know, for the start of the season, you know, thus far. And I understand it can be probably frustrating to hear Haxtell say, yeah, it was probably our best 60 minutes of, of the season. And yet that 60 minutes wasn't good enough to beat a Canucks team that like, let's be honest, isn't great. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts, Dylan, on overall the state of the team right now and kind of what the level of concern should or shouldn't be, basically how you're feeling about all of that. Yeah, I touched on this a little bit last night. I, I, don't, I still think it's too early to worry about it. Um, you know, Ray Ferraro mentioned on the broadcast, hey, this team's only been together for three weeks, essentially, right? I, I still very much stick with that. Um People were excited about, you know, seeing changes, feeling like Hackstall was addressing some of the issues, um, which, you know, we thought he was probably waiting till they had those, you know, couple days off. Um, so that was good to see. Still maybe some more work that needs to be done there. Um, but overall, yeah, I don't think we need, we need to become too jaded about anything just yet. Obviously, Vegas set expectations ridiculously high. Um, but again, you know, everybody thinks with them well they went to the stanley cup finals that's you know still six months away right like that's a long ways off we're still very you know it's still october very much at the beginning of the season i don't you know try to take anything uh too seriously before a team has hit double digit games played just because that's when you start seeing a significant sample size really um you could also argue until you get to 20 games kind of a quarter of the way through you don't totally know what a team is yet so um i'm still willing to be patient i would i would preach patience yes there are issues it does seem like the team is aware of those issues and is working to address them i feel like mostly last night it was just unlucky that they lost that game because of that you know as you talked about the puck hops over Vince Dunn's stick Connor Garland essentially gets a breakaway that's just unfortunate um, but you know I think everybody would agree that the Kraken were the better team on the ice last night and uh, you know maybe there were some questions about that after the Philly and New Jersey games but what from what I saw last night I do think if the team puts in that effort night in night out they're gonna win a lot of games and and it won't necessarily look like it did last because if you know if you give the performance you did last night you know you you were probably going to beat the Canucks more nights than not maybe not a better team but so I, I understand that that feeling of frustration with kind of where it seems how limited the team is at at this point as far as what they can do um, but at the end of the day you have to look at I guess you have to decide whether you're going to look at this team as an expansion team. Or look at it as, you know, a, compare it to teams that are already around or a team like Vegas that just kind of had this hot start you know, from the very beginning. And you know, if you're going to compare it to, to Vegas or, the, or other top flight teams, yeah, you're, you're going to be disappointed with the results. But if you choose to look at it as an expansion team, as guys who haven't played together before, as a work in progress, I think you have to be encouraged by what we saw last night. When you look at an expansion team, there are a lot of pieces of their game in total that need work, that aren't where they should be. I think we can all see that. And what was encouraging to me is that after those two ugly games in Philly and New Jersey, they identified a piece of their game that was definitely not where it needed to be. Probably the worst piece of their game, their most pressing issue that needed to be resolved. And they focused in on it. 
for two days really strongly and they fixed it. Mm-hmm. Now, there are there still other pieces of their game they need to work on? Absolutely. We just detailed, you know, what a lot of those are, you know, earlier in this podcast. But after last night, do I have confidence that they can zero in on them and work on them and kind of fix it piece by piece until the whole puzzle comes together? Yeah, I have a lot of confidence that they can do that. So that's why I'm not discouraged. But I wanted to make sure to address that because I, we did have a lot of people, a lot of followers who were, you know, really frustrated with kind of the state of things. And I don't want you thinking we're just, you know, team shills here or anything, you know, just we'll stand up for them for no reason, just because they're the crack. And, you know, there are reasons that we think the way that we do. So I just thought it would be good for the two of us to explain that to kind of close out the podcast. Yeah. And it wasn't only negative. It was, you know, still 50, 50. I think there's a lot of people oh, no, that, sure. are, that are willing to be patient. But I think good to address everyone's yeah, concern. Yeah, for sure. Um, just because you've mentioned him a little bit earlier, Bari Boulay, Kraken legend, big part of their, you know, as of now, only win uh, so far in franchise history was, you know, you. yes, was reclaimed <laughs> by the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's he is no longer with the Kraken. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, he just added to kind of the, you know the the too much of a good thing as far as depth on offense you know as we're saying you know oh we really wish donato was in the lineup but also there's no one really to take out it's a it's it's a survivable loss but you know just mentioning it because that was part of the kraken news for the week but i think that's going to do it for us um looking ahead at the schedule for the next week we have montreal on tuesday the 26th got uh, minnesota on the 28th that's thursday and then the rangers on halloween night next sunday and that's a six o'clock start the other two are seven o'clock starts which you know it's more normal um so we got all those to look forward to i do think a homestand is going to help out this team certainly if last night was any indication i think that'll be the case and uh you know montreal's probably a good team to look for a rebound game from too absolutely all right and that's going to do it for us this week thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you next time mm-hmm.